right, good evening. It's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord tonight on Sunday night. And we're going to start out like we normally do with our prayer requests. And we're just thanking the Lord for the service we had this morning. Amen. We're thanking the Lord for the gospel that went out. And we're praying that that seed will find good ground. And we're praying that for sure. Let's remember these prayer requests as well. Uh, Belinda Johnson uh, and Darius Gibson. Belinda for heart aneurysm and COPD and Darius for COPD. That's from Hazel South. So let's remember these. Let's remember John and Pat. These are the neighbors of the Les Jars. And uh, John passed out and fell and was unresponsive while paramedics came to their home. John is on life, life support, but he did open his eyes and tried to breathe. Pray for him and for his wife. Uh, she is stressed about being alone. They're in their 70s. So let's be praying for John and Pat, neighbors of the Les Jars. Let's remember the family of Russell Hedrick. Uh, this is a brother of Eunice Aleph uh, and Louise Harrington. We know he is in heaven Pray, pray, please pray especially for his three daughters and the grandchildren. So let's be in prayer for the Russell Hedrick family, lifting them up in prayer. Let's pray for Maurice family. Pray for Rebecca and my family. Pray for Maurice and Theodore, Spencer and mom, and thank you. Thank you for all of your prayers. Uh, and that's from Rebecca Miller. And so we praise the Lord. Let's keep, be, uh, keep praying for her as well. All right, we're going to look to the Lord uh, in a word of prayer as we open up this evening. And uh, Brother Barry, would you stand up right where you are and open us up in a word of prayer? All right. ground. 
last verse. When he shall come with trumpet sound, then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Amen. You may be seated. All right, we got a couple of announcements that we want to remember. Uh, youth group on Tuesday night. Youth group, we're going to be going to True Gospel Baptist Church for their... Uh, revival services. Brother Clemens going to be preaching. So we're going to head out right promptly at 6.30. So you need to be here a little bit early. The bus is going to leave right at 6.30. We're going to go up there and be with them. Brother, I think I said Brother Clemens going to be preaching, and we're looking forward to that. Uh, Discovery Club will be just normal, so remember that. Cantata practices, they will be Monday at 6.30, Wednesday night after church, Sunday at 5 o'clock, from now until eternity. Amen? All right. So don't forget that. You got to do all of those. That's what's going on with that. So make sure you're there for those. Christmas play practice for the children's. We got that going on as well. Make sure you get a bulletin and get all of the announcements. There's just one other that I want to make mention of, and that's the Men's 33 series. That's going to start on November the 15th. It's on a Tuesday night. If you're bringing your young ones to youth group, make it real easy to just drop them off at youth group, and then go over into that men's Bible study. And it's for men 18 and up, and I really mean that. It's for all ages. Our, uh, our men's devotion night is very well attended, mostly by uh, younger men, but this is still open to all. And that 33 series is absolutely amazing at talking about the stages of life for men. And it goes through the different stages of life, and it absolutely is wonderful. They're all important. They all have their place in our life, and we all can be productive in different parts of them. So if you would like to come, you can see me or Rick Tallman about that. Uh, I would encourage you to come see me. Let me know if you plan on attending so we can figure out which space is going to be best for that. Then, uh, So make sure you get your bulletin, get the rest of those announcements. All right, at this time, we're going to have our ushers come for our Sunday evening tithes and offerings. And this morning, we want to thank the Lord for the church's generosity. We were able to take up uh, $4,100 for Dale Vance and his family. Since this morning, though, uh, some people gave us some more gifts. So we're really, really close uh, to being at $5,000, and we'd love to do that. So we put another uh, offering plate back there on either end of the uh, sound booth. Thank you, thank you, Jason. At either end of the sound booth, if you would like to give to Dale and his family tonight, maybe you weren't here this morning, you didn't know about it, whatever, they're there. Please don't feel any obligation, but they're there if you'd like to give something. Maybe you weren't here or whatever. We'd like to, uh, we'd like to send them that gift uh, in that manner. Right now, we're going to be taking up our Sunday evening tithes and offerings. And I'm going to ask Jason, if he would, to ask a blessing on the offering. Amen. 
Verse choir, come on up to the old rugged cross. I will never be true. Shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away where is. The 
pours from Emmanuel's veins. The sinner was plunged beneath the flood and God saved. Since then I walk in forgiveness, all of my guilt was erased. The chains of the past are broken at last, I got saved. Just what he's done Start counting my blessings One by one I sure don't deserve All that he's done for me But I praise him forever Through eternity And I 
to give me such blessings that fill up my life. God is so good, I cannot express how thankful I am. I am so blessed. He's given me breath, He's given me life, He saved my lost soul from sin and strife. Jesus died on the cross just to show me his love. He's building me a home in heaven above. And I am amazed that he'd take the time to give me such blessings that fell up my life. God is so good. journey this way, but His mercies are new every day. His grace is sufficient for every trial. He amazes me more and more every mile. He gave me His word in this precious old book. It speaks to my heart every time I look. He loves me and He helps me when I'm tempted to sin.
Wow, what a wonderful day we've had. Amen? It's just been good to be in the house of the Lord all the way. Oh, by the way, I found a lady's purse. I, I'm serious. <laughs> it's not Helen's either, I'll guarantee you that. <laughs> she could put 50 of these in there. So if this is your purse, we want to make sure you get <laughs> Amen. <laughs> hey, that's okay. I saw a guy, I know he had to be a football player. He was about six foot eight. He wore about, he, he weighed about 300 pounds and he had the scruffiest beard I've ever seen in my life. And he was carrying on his back a little pink backpack. And I thought, this is a guy with a daughter. I guarantee you. <laughs> anyway. All right. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Uh, the book of Isaiah chapter number 22 and we're going to continue our journey at least for a little while longer uh, in the uh, in the book of Isaiah uh, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you tonight it's just been a great day to be in the Lord to be in the house of the Lord it's been a great day to be in the Lord and uh, we did something a little different this morning um, Helen and I we, we never did uh, turn on Billy Graham this morning which we almost always do, but we did take a little bit longer uh, for our prayer time this morning, and uh, I think that was very beneficial to us, and uh, I, I hope and encourage you to begin your day with a, either a personal prayer time or family prayer time, whichever works the best for you, but have that time of prayer. Uh, uh, each morning and a time in the Word of God. Now, I know, and I've always said this, for some people studying the Bible, the best time to do it is at night because that's just the time that they, they're night people. You know, you know, you, you know the night owls, that uh, the people that stay up till, you know, one or two in the morning on a regular basis, and if that's when they're at their best, uh, then study your Bible then. But if you're a morning person, you ought to study the Bible in the morning, but I do want to encourage you, whether you are a morning person or an evening person or a don't bother me any time of the day person, uh, to at least begin the day uh, with, uh, with a, at least a brief time of prayer and in the Word of God just a little bit. I don't know how many times I have opened the Word of God in the morning just for a moment just and maybe just read a verse and and, uh, and then have that verse stay with me uh, all day I mean just it just stays with me seems like all day long as a matter of fact uh, for many years uh, for the last since COVID we just haven't done as many hospital visits and and home visits as we used to do and uh, I miss that I really do but uh, used to especially if I had a full day of hospital visits, uh, I would specifically choose a verse at the beginning of the day that I was going to use throughout the day. And, uh, and I would use that verse uh, each time I'd go into the hospital room or unless the Lord specifically guided otherwise. But it's important for us to uh, get familiar with and study the Word of God, not just here together on a Sunday morning or and especially on Sunday night and Wednesday night, we tend to dig a little deeper and, uh, and, and go a little further. Uh, but it's important for you as an individual uh, to learn to study the Bible for yourself. 
Uh, and this is vitally important for your Christian life. Young people, familiarize yourself with the Bible. It's not a bad idea to memorize the order of the scriptures, uh, the books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, so on and so forth, so that you will be able to locate the, uh, the scripture that you're looking for. You'll know what part of the Bible it is. It's also important uh, to know uh, how you're going about studying the Word of God. Michael has made a lot of comments about studying the Word uh, in an expository form or, uh, or preaching expositorily. Uh, and so I thought I'd take just a moment this evening uh, and uh, explain to you a little bit, not, not in any depth or anything, but just a little bit uh, about how, often, how we most often preachers and teachers, how they most often approach the scriptures. Uh, the, uh, the primary way that preachers preached and used the word of God really up until around the beginning of the 20th century the, or the middle of the 19th century, up until that time, uh, almost everybody approached the word of God from an expositorial way. They, in other words, and what that means is, is you let the word of God lead you. You, you, t you take a passage of scripture and you study that passage of scripture as it appears in the word of God and you study it out verse by verse as it fits together and as it belongs together in that passage of scripture. That doesn't mean there's never any cross-reference. There's uh, the more you learn to study it expositorily, the more you will realize the importance of doing cross-references. Uh, but uh, if you're studying Isaiah, you're in Isaiah. If you're studying Romans, you're in Romans. And if you're studying Romans, you're in Romans. And if you're going to study Romans, you're going to be in Romans. So somebody said the other day that um, uh, 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 D.M. Russell Jones, no, not D.M. Russell Jones, no, no, uh, was that right, D.M. Russell? Yeah, no, though that, he was the pastor at Cardiff. Uh, uh, who's the Jones from Martin, Martin Lloyd, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones? It took him 20, over 20 years to preach through uh, the book of Romans uh, on Wednesday nights. Can you imagine spending 20 years studying that one book of the Bible? Uh, and, uh, but that's the way he did it. Uh, but you're in that book and you're studying through that book and you're going, not, maybe not every single verse you're uh, elaborating on it, but you yourself are studying it verse by verse. And then there's what's called textual preaching or contextual preaching. That is kind of a cross between topical preaching and, uh, and uh, expository preaching. Uh, textual preaching means that you're going to take from the Word of God a text. Uh, maybe it's a verse, maybe it's three verses, maybe it's five verses, but you're going to take a text, and from that text you're going to formulate your message. And so if you're choosing one verse, then you might run some cross-references from that one verse to several other places in the Bible, uh, and it will help you. But then there's topical preaching, and that's where you say, you know what I want to preach on? Uh, I want to preach on, uh, uh, I want to preach on uh, surrendering. So you look up every verse in the Bible uh, that, uh, that deals, that has the word surrender in it. And so from all these different parts of the Bible, 
Bible, you're putting this together on surrender. Could I say to you, that is the least effective way, number one, to study your Bible, and number two, it's the least effective way to preach the Bible. Now, there's not anything wrong with occasionally having topical sermons. Uh, and uh, as a matter of fact, if you were to go from church to church on a Sunday morning throughout America, you would find that no doubt the vast majority of sermons preached on any given Sunday would be topical sermons. The problem with that is it's very dangerous to preach a topical sermon because you're going to take it out of context. It's just, you're just, it's just almost, unless you combine it with some expository study or some contextual understanding, you're going to take that out of context. Because if you're going to just go to Isaiah and read one verse, and then you're going to go to Psalms, and you're going to read one verse, and then you're going to go to the Gospel of John, and you're going to read one verse, and that's all you've read, and that's how you're building your sermon, you don't really know what you're talking about. Did you know that? Because you could preach a topical sermon, and you could say... Judas went out and hung himself. Now let's turn over here to the Gospel of Mark and it said, go ye and do likewise. Right? That's topical. That's how you, that's how you put together a topical sermon. But it's not in context. You gotta, the, the verses have to, you have to understand uh, what, what this whole chapter is saying. As a matter of fact, it's a good idea to know what the whole book is saying before you start, uh, before you start elaborating and waxing eloquent uh, on this passage of Scripture. So that's just a little cautionary uh, a word this, uh, this evening as we go to the book of Isaiah. And if it seems like Michael and I do an awful lot of staying in the same book. Now you know why. Amen? Now you know why. It's because we want to preach the whole counsel of God, but we want to preach the whole counsel of God as it is presented in the scriptures, not as, how, not as the way we thunk it up in our head. Amen? We want to preach what the Word of God actually says. So we're going to look at uh, Isaiah chapter number 22 tonight. We're going to read verses 8 to 14, uh, and then we'll bring the message that the Lord has laid upon our heart for the evening. Isaiah chapter number 22, beginning at verse 8. Stand with us, please, if you would, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. And he discovered the covering of Judah... And thou didst look in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. Ye have seen also the breaches of the city of David, that there are many, and ye gathered together the waters of the lower pool, and ye have numbered the houses of Jerusalem, and the houses have ye broken down to fortify the wall. Ye made also a ditch between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but ye have not looked unto the maker thereof, neither had respect unto him that fashioned it long ago. And in that day did the Lord God of hosts call to weeping and to mourning and to baldness and to uh, girding with sackcloth. And behold, joy and gladness, slaying oxen, killing sheep, eating flesh, drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. It was revealed in mine ears by the Lord of hosts. Surely this iniquity shall not be purged from you till ye die, saith 
the Lord of hosts. I want to read verse 14 one more time. And it was revealed in mine ears, the ears of the prophet, by the Lord of hosts, surely this iniquity shall not be purged from you till ye die, saith the Lord God of hope. Dear Lord, we pray you'd help us in the understanding of the word of God tonight. Give us clarity of thought. Lord, allow our mind to be stayed upon the word of God for just a little while that we might take in its truth and learn of it and then be able to apply it to our day-to-day living. Then we'll pause and give you all the praise and the honor and the glory for what you do in us and through us. For we make our prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen, you may be seated. Now I want to start my introduction a little different tonight. I want to start my introduction. We're, we're, uh, we're 22 chapters now into the book of Isaiah. We've spent quite a while and we've, we've not looked at every chapter. We've certainly not even uh, uh, made any attempt whatsoever to look at it verse by verse, but we have looked at a lot of the verses and a lot of the chapters in the book of Isaiah, and I hope you're beginning to get a general sense, a general feel of how Isaiah flows and uh, and how he presents his prophecies. And Isaiah, uh, not only is Isaiah one of the major prophets, but it is said of Isaiah he is the prophet of prophets outside of Jesus Christ himself. Isaiah was the prophet who saw the furthest and understood the deepest concerning the things that were yet to be revealed in the New Testament. There's no other, there's no other uh, writer of the Old Testament that has as clear a view of who the Messiah is than Isaiah. Isaiah knows something about the Messiah and he reveals it to us. But he also has a lot of localized prophecies that he talks about as well and he reveals and we've been studying here lately uh, going into great detail concerning the fall of Babylon. Now, I just want to kind of put you in the picture here. This is kind of going to help you contextually to understand this. Uh, So the reason Isaiah goes in such great detail about the fall of Babylon and and the prophecies are so uh, frequent and so powerful about that is because it's going to be as a result of the fall of Babylon that the nation of Israel is going to be able to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall around the city uh, and eventually rebuild the temple. This is going to take place because Babylon is going to fall. You remember it was Babylon that uh, overthrew Jerusalem and in Judea uh, and it wasn't just the northern kingdom that fell this time. The southern kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Judah fell as well and then they took all of them captive and carried them off to Babylon. And that's where you get the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are people that were carried off to Babylon uh, after that Jerusalem had fallen. Uh, And so what Isaiah is doing is he is giving them a clear, very clear picture uh, in prophecy concerning the fall of Babylon because it is the fall of Babylon that is going to make it possible for the Israelites to return back to their place. Cyrus the Great is going to be the one who is most instrumental 
Israel. There are more than one king involved here, and I'm not going to go into all of that. But Cyrus the Great is the, is the one who has the greatest influence uh, and the strongest army and the most, uh, and he is uh, the one who's going to be the most powerful from this point forward, and he's the one who's going to write the decree and send the Israelites back home. He's going to do that. And so Isaiah, now isn't this amazing? Think about it. So Isaiah is writing all these prophecies about the fall of Babylon because God knows that it is going to be the result of the fall of Babylon that's going to allow the Israelites to come home. So Isaiah is going into all this detail before it even happens. So he's telling the story of what's going to take place before he tells the story of what's going to take place, before it's revealed to anybody what is actually going to happen. Now, you talk about prophecy, that's a prophet. Amen. I mean, he's going to, not only is he going to tell you, give you a prophecy of the fact that, uh, uh, that the Israelites are going to come home, he's going to tell you how it's all going to happen before any of it even starts to take place or fall together. This man is amazing. He is. Now, I know that everything he did was under the leadership and the direction of the Holy Spirit. I know that he was God-called and God-ordained and God-empowered. But I'll tell you, there's something wonderful about a man who has given himself totally and completely to the hand of God. And Isaiah could have never accomplished what he had accomplished if he had not been fully and completely and totally surrendered to God. I remember reading the story, the bi biography of D.L. Moody written by his son and that his son said there came a point in D.L. Moody's life when he began to pray dear God what could you do with a man who was fully and totally dedicated to you dear God of heaven by thy grace let me be that man let me be that man do you realize that the things that have mattered are because men and women of God dedicated themselves totally to the will of God, held back nothing and gave it all. Isaiah could never have accomplished what he did had it not been for his total and complete surrender to God. And oh, aren't you glad that he did that? Amen? Aren't you glad that he did it? Oh, hey, let me tell you something. Half your Christmas story would be missing if Isaiah hadn't surrendered totally and completely to God. And this is the Christmas story that's given to us hundreds of years before the Christmas story happened. It's amazing what God can do with someone when they surrender to him. So I don't have a problem of saying that Isaiah is an amazing man. I don't have a problem saying that I, I love what Isaiah did. And, and, and I don't have a problem with saying to our young people, if you really want your life to count, if you really want to make a difference, if you really want to impact the lives of those people around you, then surrender yourself to God. Completely, totally. Hold back nothing. Don't keep anything for yourself. You say, but preacher, there's certain things that I want. Don't you think God knows what's good for you? Say, well, preacher, I don't really want to fall in love and get married. God's probably got that in your plan anyway. Because Lord knows I would have made a mess of a preacher if I hadn't have fell in love and got married. Amen? I mean, I desperately needed somebody to look after me. And God gave me the wife that I needed. 
Brother, lo, these many years. Yeah, God's going to give you what you need. And God's going to give you the desires of your heart. But only if you surrender to him. If you try to hold on to your own life and fashion it and formulate it and make it all fit and make it all work, then it's all going to be a mess before it's over with. Because God knows you a whole lot better than you know yourself. And God knows, God knows what's best for you a whole lot better than you know. Now, I didn't mean to go quite so long with that part of the introduction. Uh, and, and you know what? I'm actually going to skip the written part of the introduction. But I do want you... Um, I do want you to think about this. I, I am going to use this part of my introduction here real quick. We may not get through this sermon tonight, but that'll be all right. Down through the ages, the, the Bible, we've looked to the Bible for understanding and wisdom and guidance. And as we've done so, if we looked at the Bible carefully, if we looked at it uh, uh, earnestly and sincerely, we found out that the Bible, now listen to me carefully, the Bible keeps telling us the same thing over and over and over again. But ba basically the message of the Bible is the same from Genesis to Revelation. Every time you open the book, every time you read the Word of God, you'll find that the Bible, if you read, if you read enough of that passage, you'll find out that it's really telling you something. And what it's telling you is this. It's telling you that man or mankind or humankind is in terrible trouble. That's what it says. Wherever you read. The opening of the book of Genesis. Man's in terrible trouble. You've got Cain killing Abel. What else do you have? You have the flood. The, the, the world was so wicked that God finally destroyed it with the flood. You, I mean, and then you have Pharaoh whose heart was so hard. And, uh, and, uh, and then you have the brothers uh, who wound up selling Joseph into slavery. Man's in terrible trouble. That's what the Bible is telling us. We're, mankind, humankind, men, women, boys and girls, they're in terrible, terrible trouble. And he's told us this over and over and over then. And not only does it tell us that, but it also reveals to us that all of our trouble stems from the same thing. They all have the same source. That source is found in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden where they sinned against God from the very beginning and sin entered the human race. That's your problem. That's the problem. Let me tell you something. You can look around our world today and you can find it, that, our, that our world is in a... I don't even have to say it, right? You know what I'm about to say. And everybody in here can agree with me. Say amen when I say this, if you believe that's true. Our world's in a mess. I mean, it's, our world is, it, it's, in, it's in a horrible situation. It's in, and why is that? Well, it's because we got the wrong people in office and the politicians. Nope. Well, it's, because, it's, because, it's because man is selfish. Well, that's true, but that's not the source of our problem. The source of our problem is a three-letter word called sin. And, and our problem is intensified because the people who have authority in our world today don't believe that. 
And so they're trying to solve the problems, right? They're trying to fix the world. They're all, everybody's real busy trying to fix the world. Let me tell you something. Man, with his devices, is not going to fix this world. Let's notice a couple of things. I, I, let, let, I know I read from uh, verse 8 to 14, but I want to go now to verse number 1 of Isaiah 22. And the Bible says, The burden of the valley of vision. What aileth thee now? Thou art holy, gone up to the housetops. What's he talking about here? The burden of the valley of vision. Well, could I say to you uh, that Jerusalem, and when we were there, we did get a chance to notice this. Jerusalem is a city that's set upon a hill. You remember... Uh, uh, that's what he says. He said Mount Zion is set upon a hill, and that it very well is. But it's not only is it set on a hill, but it's very near to a higher hill yet. A lot of people are not aware of that, but it's true. So you, first you have Jerusalem that's set on a hill, and then you have a hill that, that's uh, uh, over to the uh, east, and it's a little higher yet. But it's surrounded by three very deep valleys. So you have Jerusalem set on a hill, three valleys around it, and then a little bit higher hill over there. And so when you stood on Jerusalem, you have a panoramic view of Judea. You, I mean, you can see, you can see the vast majority of Judea. You can see it from the top of the hill in Jerusalem. And so for Many, many, many moons, many years, they just called it the place of vision. The, the place of vision. So Jerusalem began to be known as the Valley of Vision. And it's talking about the three valleys around the city. And it's saying that this is the place where you can see these valleys. You can see it all. The Valley of Vision, you can see it. But even more than that, the prophets liked this term, the Valley of Vision, because they believed that it was from Jerusalem that the prophecy was going to come that would tell us when the Messiah was going to arrive. So true that is, so right they were. So that's, where, that's what we're talking about here. Now the reason I bring that up is because he says uh, the burden of the valley of vision. Uh, so he's not... No, he's changed courses in chapter 21 and in chapter 20 and in chapter 19 and in chapter 18 and in chapter 17. All of those chapters have to do with Babylon and Syria and Babylon and Syria and Babylon and Syria. But when he gets to chapter number 22, Isaiah says, now I want to talk about the Valley of Vision. I've talked about Babylon and I've talked about Syria. But now I want to talk about that glorious land, that marvelous Zion. We're marching to Zion. We have, we have a voice in our heart that's singing. We're marching to Zion. I want to talk about the Valley of Vision. But let me say to you that the Valley of Vision does not get this glorious truth first. The first truth it gets and the first prophecy it gets is not so grand. The burden against the Valley of Vision, this is Jerusalem, city set on a hill surrounded by a still higher hill in the midst of three valleys. Uh, Jerusalem was the center of worship uh, and the prophets loved to call it the Valley of Vision. I just read directly from my notes here. But I want you to notice now we're going to get to our text, verse number 8. 
And I, I, I'm watching the time. We, we, we won't go too late. Look at Isaiah 22 and verse 8. This is where we broke in in our reading. And he discovered the covering of Judah, and thou didst look in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. Ye have seen also the breaches of the city of David, that they are many, and ye gathered together the waters of the lower pool. Now let's back up to the very opening of uh, verse number 8. He discovered the covering of Judah. Who is he that he's talking about here? Isaiah is talking about God. He's talking about Jerusalem. And he's talking about the God of Jerusalem. And what does he say about the God of Jerusalem? He said the God of Jerusalem has discovered your eyes. He has discovered you. Now, to us, that it's hard to really make sense of it. But what he's really saying here, if you can understand it, is he has discovered the covering of Judah. He has discovered their eyes. Or in other words, God has taken the blindfold off. He's discovered their sight. He has let them see and if I had a, if I had a, uh, and I do, if I had a, 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 a phrase for this point, it was be seeing what we don't want to see. He is opening the eyes of the Israelites in the land of Judah. The covering has been removed. The blindfold has been taken off. And, and now, notice the viewpoint of the generation once they're able to see. Now, let me tell you something. The Bible tells us, and I, uh, I have it listed here. It's over in Corinthians. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, you can write that down, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and you can go back later and look and see what he says. But he's talking about they are not able to see. Have you ever? are very upset down in Florida because in Florida you can't turn a little boy into a little girl anymore. Right? It's true. And you can't turn a little boy into a little girl or a little girl into a little boy. You're not allowed to do that down there. You're not, you shouldn't be allowed to do that, period. What is wrong with you? So I don't like being who I am. I don't like being who I am half the time. Who wants to be me? Amen. I mean, seriously. Girl, boy, that's totally indifferent. I have the time. I don't like who I have to be. But I am who God made me. What's wrong with these people? Why have you got these politicians down there in Florida? And man, they got these banners and they're waving them and they're mad at the governor and they're mad at these, re uh, at these politicians who are saying that they're going to uh, stop this and they're going to end this and they want to be able to take every little girl in town and make her a little boy and every little boy in town and make them a little girl if that's what they think they want to be at four years old. That's the biggest bunch of hogwash I ever heard in my life. That is absolutely unthinkable. And they're blurting it out. <laughs> I mean, it's, you shouldn't even be thinking that, let alone saying it in public, in mixed company. But they are. 
What's wrong with these people? They are blinded. They are blinded. They're blind and they cannot see afar off. They're blind and they can't see past their own nose. Now, I know I got a little excited here. I am not having a heart attack. I know exactly what a heart attack feels like. I know, I mean exactly. So I'll let you know if that happens. But it ain't even close yet, so you don't have to worry about it, okay? I'm having a good time this evening. Now, you may not be, but I'm having a good time. Now, I want you to notice this, okay? So he is going to remove the blindfold from them and let them see. I'll tell you, this is so beautiful to me. So I want you to look at the viewpoint of the generation. And look at what he says. Verse number 9, ye have seen also the breaches of the city of David, that they are many, and ye gather together the waters of the lower pool. Now look at the verse number 10. And ye have numbered the houses of Jerusalem, and the houses have ye broken down to fortify the wall. What is he saying? He's saying, I took the blinders off. I removed the blindfold, and they looked around, and they said, hey, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. There are breaches in the wall around the city of Jerusalem. Somebody's coming in. We don't have enough defenses. We don't even have enough defenses for the inner part of the city. That's what he's talking about with the pools, and I'm not going to go into great detail about that. But he's saying even, even up next to the where, uh, you know, where, where the inner part of the city is, we don't have any protection there, and we certainly don't have any protection around about us. And so what did they do? They got real busy, and they decided they were going to fix it. They did. They decided they was going to fix it. Man, I tell you, that is just, that is just so typical. <laughs> that is just so typical. Every, you know what every politician says these days? We're going to fix it. You elect me, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to go down to Washington, I'm going to fix it. Do you know they've had over 225 years of fixing it and it ain't fixed yet? It ain't never going to get fixed till Jesus comes back. Now, let me tell you, when Jesus rides in Jerusalem on a white horse and sits on the throne of his father David and rules uh, uh, the, uh, the entire world by the word of his mouth, whew, he's not going to need any swords. He's not going to need any tanks. He's not going to need stealth bombers. He's not, he's not going to need aircraft carriers. He's just going to rule the world by the word of his mouth. You say, man, how in the world could he do that? Well, I'm not real sure, but I do know that the Bible said that he created the universe with the word of his mouth. So I figure if he could create anything and everything that's ever been made by the power of the word of his mouth, he won't have much trouble ruling the world that way either. When he comes back, he's going to fix it. <laughs> he's going to fix it. When he gets through fixing it, it's going to be just a perfect world. Amen? People talk about utopia and having a perfect world. We wanna we're going to go out in the desert. We're going to build us a perfect society. If you got people there, it ain't going to be perfect. Amen? You got people there, it ain't going to be perfect. But I tell you what, when Jesus comes, he'll make me and you perfect. And then the world will be perfect. They're going to fix it. Notice what he says in this passage of Scripture. 
He said, they've even numbered, verse number 10, the houses of Jerusalem, the houses have ye broken down to fortify the wall. You made also a ditch between the two walls for the water of the old pool. He said, man, you've just started working and you're fixing everything, but it didn't fix it. Didn't fix it. I want you to notice something else. I want you to skip down to verse number, uh, number 12 and 13. And in that day did the Lord God of hosts call to weeping, mourning, baldness, grinding, uh, girding with sackcloth. And behold, now notice this, joy and gladness, slaying oxen, killing sheep, eating flesh, and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You got two groups. You got one group over here that's the, uh, they're going to fix it. We're working hard. We're going to get it fixed. We're going to fix the world, and the world's going to be great, and uh, the nation's going to be wonderful, and, and, and uh, you, just, you just let me handle it, and I'll fix it. And then you got this group over here, and they're, going, and they're saying, they ain't going to fix it, but we're going to fix it because we're just going to party till we die. You know anybody like that? Yeah. You know, lots of folks like that. Oh, we're not, we don't want to have anything to do with politics. We don't want to have anything to do with fixing it. We're not even concerned about that. Just give us another round. Let us stay another hour in the, uh, in, in the, in the nightclub, in the bars. Just let us get a little drunker or, or a little higher. Or let us just have a little bit more pleasure in this world. Give us a little bit more of the illicit things that this world has to offer. And we're just going to party till we die you know what God says that's what you're going to do he does that's what he says look what he says verse number 14 we're going to come back to this verse here in just a minute he said and it was revealed in my mine ears by the Lord of hosts surely now this is immediately after verse 13 which is where they slay the oxen kill the sheep eat the flesh drink the wine and they're going to enjoy life, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And then verse 14 says, And it was revealed in mine ears by the Lord of hosts, Surely this iniquity shall not be purged from you till ye die. You want to party till you die? God said, I'll let you do it. I'll let you do it. Hey, I grew up in the 60s and 70s. I was a little boy in the 60s. I was a teenager and young adult in the 70s. And you know, what the, you know what the phrase was back then? Some of you might even remember this. Live hard, die young, leave a beautiful corpse. You remember that? See, all of our young people think that we didn't know anything about that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, we, we are the original rebellious generation. <laughs> We, I mean, we invented rebellion. <laughs> Live hard, die young, leave a beautiful uh, corpse. And you know what? I had a lot of friends who did that very thing. Did that very thing. He said... God said, I'll let you do it. If that's the way you want to live, I'm going to let you live that way. You better be careful what you ask for. God might let you have it. You better be careful how you choose the pathway that you say, that you turn to God and say, you know what, Lord, I don't need you right now. I'm going to pick this way. I'm going to go this way. The Lord might just let you do that. And if he does, you might regret it for all eternity. Now, I want to close this. I want you to look again at verse number 11. You made also a ditch between the two walls 
for the water of the old pool, but ye have not looked unto the maker thereof, neither had respect unto him that fashioned it long ago. Years ago, I was at a, uh, I was at a gospel preacher uh, uh, camp meeting, and, uh, and I, we had heard, I had heard Ed Moore preach. I don't know how many times I heard Ed Moore preach, more than I can count. And uh, I was very, very familiar with him. But you know what? I can't remember very many of the specific sermons he preached. I can remember a handful of them, but not very many. But I remember this one. On a Wednesday night at the GPA National Camp Meeting, Ed Moore got up to preach. And he preached from the book of Exodus. And he preached from the book of Exodus, chapter number 2. And he was talking about... He was talking about what Moses did. What Moses did. He, he, he gave a simple but profound message on why Moses had to flee. You remember? He killed an Egyptian. And he had to flee. And he spent 40 years in the desert. Because he killed an Egyptian. And he became a murderer. And he had to flee. And the Bible tells us that just before he killed this Egyptian, something happened to him. And it's found in the second chapter of the book of Exodus and verse number 12. And this is what that verse says. And he, Moses, looked this way and that way. And when he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And I'll never forget it. I will never forget it. Ed read that verse of scripture and he said this. Moses looked this way. And then Moses, he looked that way. But poor old Moses, he never looked that way. If he had just looked that way, he wouldn't have had to waste 40 years on the backside of the desert. Notice what God said through the prophet Isaiah, in chapter number 22. Look what he says in verse number 11, the latter part of this verse. But ye have not looked unto the maker thereof, neither hath ye respect unto him that fashioned it long ago. He's not talking about the architect of the city. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the ones who laid out the temple. He's not talking about the one who arranged the pools. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the one who made the trees that populated the Mount of Olives. He's talking about the one who made the water that filled the pools. He's talking about the one who made the stones that were erected upon the wall. He said, you didn't look at the maker. You looked this way, and you looked that way. But oh, if you'd have just looked this way, <laughs> if you'd have just looked upward, it could have been so different. And Babylon could have been forgotten. And the captivity could have, could have been avoided. But you looked this way, and you looked that way. But you forgot to look that way. Young people... Look out over the world and see what you see. I wish I could tell you you were living in a better world. But let me tell you something. It ain't no worse than it was in 1974 when I graduated from high school. 
I'm telling you, it's not any different. I, people say all the time, oh, I'd hate to be a young person these days. I wouldn't. I'd love to be young these days. You, are you kidding? I, I, I'm looking for Jesus to come back any time. I, I, I believe we could have the greatest revival this country's ever known. You say, preacher, you don't really believe that. Let me tell you something. The 60s and the 70s and the rebellion of all that gave way to the great revivals of the 80s. Do you realize we had revivals all across this country in the 80s? Billy Graham drew his greatest crowds, not in the 40s when he first started, not in the 50s when he was so young and, uh, and virile and, and preached kind of like I do. He didn't, no, no, no. His greatest, his greatest uh, uh, outreach for winning souls was during the 80s and the very early part of the 90s when all of the rebellion gave way to a great revival. You can look around and say, oh, there are breaches in the walls, and we got to fix it, and there's this that's got to happen, and there's that that's got to happen. Or you could join the crowd that says, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to enjoy my life personally and individually, and I'm going to eat and drink because after a while, I'm going to have to die. Or you could stop. Look up. Say, Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, which way do you want me to go? Lord, how do you want me to live? Now, let me tell you something, and we're done. If you've drawn any encouragement, strength, wisdom, leadership, or direction out of the message that was preached tonight... If it's helping you in any way, shape, form, or fashion, I'm just a simple preacher. I'm just, I, I, I'm just a guy from Kennesaw, Georgia, that God called and put the Word of God burning in my heart. But if you've received anything of grace tonight, you got it because somebody was willing to spend time in the Word of God. This, I, I didn't write this message out in 10 minutes. I didn't go to some book and pull it out from somebody's outline. I perused the Word of God. I walked with Isaiah down the streets of Jerusalem and saw the breaches in the wall. I, 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 I drew upon the truth of the Word of God. That's why Michael is so, he's, he's so filled with it. Because he wants you to see and understand that if you want answers to life, we're going to get them from here. This book right here is going to guide you. It's going to fill you. It's going to strengthen you. So if you walk out of this building and you say, don't do it. Oh, boy, the preacher preached a good one tonight. Don't you do that. Uh-uh. The Word of God spoke to you tonight. Wasn't me. Uh-uh. It was the book. If you got any, now if you got, you know, if, if, it was, if it wasn't any good, that was me. But if you got anything good out of it, you got it because of the word of God. Because this is what it says. This is what it teaches us. What is it saying to our generation? Our generation is exactly like the generation that's uh, depicted in tw chapter 22 in the book of Isaiah. Exactly the same generation. We have two groups of people. One says we're going to fix it. The other one says we're going we're gonna to party till we die. What's the Christian to do? You look this way. 
say, that's a mistake. You can look that way, and you say, that's not right either. So look this way and say, Lord, what do you have me do? Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to bring the Word of God tonight. I pray you'd touch our hearts. I know I preached a little long. But Lord, I, I pray that we haven't overtaxed the attention span of our people this evening, that they've been able to stay with us and follow the teaching of the Word of God and draw from it something that will help them, that will allow them to walk the Christian life in a, in a, in a brighter and a better way. Their light would shine further to a lost world around them. Their encouragement would go deeper to that loved one that's struggling, that Christian that's looking to them to try to find strength. Their life would be filled with the joy of Christ himself because they are drawing upon the wells of salvation, drinking deep from your truth and from your word. Touch us, I pray. Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his Oh. 